Well, hey, everybody, good to see you again. Welcome back to our home. We're grateful that you're here with us as we continue this journey called Unshallow, where we're discovering how to get into a deeper relationship with God and certainly with each other. So I'm really grateful that you're joining us here and joining us for this time together. Will you join me in prayer as we begin our time? Holy and gracious God, thank you that you want relationship with us, that you desire a deep-seated connection and that most of all, God, you want us to be vulnerable just as you have been vulnerable with us. And so God, we pray that we learn more about that, that we grow in our understanding of that and that we commit to be vulnerable and intimate with you and with others so that we can truly find a deep relationship with that gift. Thank you, God, in Christ's name, amen. Well, hey friends, we've been talking about how to get vulnerable, right? Adam and Eve taught us that it's all right to get naked. Last week, we learned a little bit more about how we can find intimacy in our relationships together. We learned something called the sliding door phenomenon, right? And uh, where those small moments can make all the difference in the world. And I hope you've been challenging yourself to take those moments more seriously. We also discovered from Dr. Brene Brown about how to be uh, uh, courageous and compassionate and be in connection with one another, that those all together those sliding door moments and these compassionate, courageous moments help us to discover intimacy. Today, we're gonna to take quite literally the opposite tact. It's gonna seem a little weird on the front end, but today we're gonna to talk about how we destroy intimacy. And while I know that sounds weird, the whole reason we wanna do that is so that we know what we should not do, right? So today we're gonna to discover from another character and set of family members in the book of Genesis, how we sometimes destroy intimacy and how it can tear our relationships up with each other and certainly with God. So I hope that this will be helpful to you about what to avoid in your relationships, both with God and with one another. But we've got a fun scripture story this morning from the book of Genesis. Um, you know, we talked about Abraham last week and that phenomenal conversation he had with God. His son, Isaac, marries a woman named Rebekah, and they have uh, some kids, Esau and Jacob. And unfortunately, in their family dynamics, we begin to discover very early on that Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob and Mary the twain shall meet. And so eventually these uh, lack of intimate moments create tension in the family. So much so that at one point, um, Isaac says to his son Esau, hey, I wanna bless you. This is a tradition in the family heritage. I wanna bless you, so go out to the field where you normally go, get some food. While you're out there, I'll get prepared. When you come back, we'll have a great meal and I will give you the family blessing. It's at that point that we see Rebecca and her son Jacob begin to scheme against their father Isaac. And this is how the story goes in Genesis chapter 27, beginning in verse five. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food to eat that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my word that I command you. Go to the flock and get me two choice kids so that I may prepare them from savory food for your father, such as he likes. And you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, look, 
My brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word and go, get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. Now, that's not the whole story. The rest of the story goes, Jacob presents this food to his father Isaac, who has poor eyesight, is very aged, and he can't tell the difference. Isaac has all kinds of questions for Jacob. Isaac has all kinds of suspicions about this. But because of the skin and the hair that uh, Rebekah put on him, because of the smell of his clothes, the feel of his, of his brother Esau's clothes, Isaac is fooled, and so he blesses Jacob, the younger son, that blessing is always held for the older son. And so you can well imagine that when Isaac, as he of course eventually does, discovers that he has blessed the wrong son, and when Esau comes back in from the field and discovers that his brother and mom, for that matter, have tricked their father and him out of his blessing, he's kind of ticked. He's not pleased at all that this has happened. Isaac is beside himself. And you can well imagine that intimacy and vulnerability is literally out the window, right? And for the next many years, Esau and Jacob are at each other's throats. They eventually go their separate way, and eventually they actually come back together. But it's fascinating how in an instant, because of what Jacob and Rebekah do, they have destroyed all intimacy in their relationship. And it's relatively obvious what's going on here. I mean, unlike last week when we discovered how to develop intimacy through courage and compassion and connection, what, what Jacob and Rebecca do are quite literally some very uh, opposite C words like connive and conspire to corrupt and to cheat. Right? They conspired all together. They were corrupt about how they did what they were going to do. They clearly cheated Esau out of his blessing. None of that works well at all for helping create intimacy, right? Well, this is a pretty obvious story about what not to do, right? Golly, it's pretty obvious we shouldn't connive and conspire. That's not helpful in a good intimate relationship. We clearly shouldn't cheat our spouse or our friend or our brother in this particular case out of something that's due them. We certainly shouldn't be corrupt in the way we relate with other people, right? I mean, these are obvious. There are sometimes some less obvious ways to destroy intimacy that I want to talk about with you. And, and those come from that Dr. John Gottman that we mentioned last week. Remember, he wrote that book, The Seven Principles, How to Make Marriage Work. And in that book, not only did he talk about those um, sliding door moments that we discussed last week, but he also talked about some things we should not do in our relationships of intimacy because they corrupt the intimacy, they destroy the intimacy. 
Interestingly enough, he calls these principles the four horsemen of the apocalypse. How's that for biblical imagery? You remember in the book of Revelation, the four horsemen are some of the folks who indicate that the end times are coming, that it's going to be a bad thing, right? So he calls these principles the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And here's a fascinating statistic. Dr. Gottman, in all of his research, claims that he can predict with a 90% accuracy that a relationship will fail if these behaviors are not changed. I could tell you this week when I spoke with the executive ministry team and I shared with them that statistic, they literally all scrambled, try to get their paper, and they started writing this stuff down. I want to encourage you to either write this stuff down or use your notes in the app on your TMUMC app, because these four things are the horsemen of the apocalypse that can destroy relationship. And so let's work on not doing them, right? Let's work against them so that we can find intimacy and eventually vulnerability in our relationships. So here's the first horseman. The first one is simply called criticism. And that's very broad, but so that you understand what uh, Dr. Gottman means is, criticism here is where we, we sort of destroy people's integrity or we call them out as a person rather than the behavior that we're disappointed in or that we're discouraged by, right? It's that old adage of, you're a bad kid, when in fact, the kid's not bad, it's just the behavior that's not right. And so when Dr. Gottman talks about criticism, he's talking about, let's not uh, condemn people, let's not call people out, let's call their behavior out. I love in the Proverbs, there's this great wisdom, right? All the Proverbs are these pithy phrases that talk about um, how we can interact and how we can be better in relationship with God. And in Proverbs chapter 15, it just says, a gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words can make tempers flare. Isn't that true? And that's this criticism, right? There's nothing wrong with critical feedback, but it's the way in which we offer it that can sometimes destroy intimacy. And so Dr. Gottman says, there's a solution to this horseman. And that solution is just simply a gentle uh, start. And all he means by a gentle start is much like that Proverbs in chapter 15 says, a gentle word might be a little better. And one of his suggestions is simply this, that when we start with calling somebody out or speaking to a concern we have, we start with I statements. I feel angry when you do. I feel sad when this happens, right? So the gentle start is acknowledging my part in this, my input in this, and the influence that you have on me, right? Rather than the big finger wag, you're wrong, you're bad, you are no good. That's not helpful, is it? So let's work against that, four horse, that one horseman called criticism. The second horseman that Dr. Gottman refers to is called contempt. Contempt is a funny word and a funny concept. Essentially what contempt means is, I feel superior to you. I feel as though somehow I'm better than you. And so I, I call you out. In fact, I, I use sarcasm or I ridicule you or I call you names. And my gosh, you can well imagine how that's not very helpful, right? But when I have contempt for you, it means that somehow I, I don't think you're equal to me. You're not as good as me. And I let you know it all the time. Well, you can well imagine how that tears at a relationship. In fact, Dr. Gottman suggests that this one horseman, contempt, it is the primary predictor 
of a failed relationship. Among all four, contempt is the one that is the harshest and the most difficult to overcome. Listen to what uh, the Proverbs writer said in chapter 18. He says, literally, doing wrong leads to disgrace and scandalous behavior brings contempt. And here the scandalous behavior is calling you out and ridiculing you and having harsh words for you. So Dr. Gottman says the solution to this is to gain respect and appreciation for the other person. In other words, recognize that, golly, you may not like everything about them. You may not appreciate certain things about them, but to work out an understanding that you actually love this person, you cherish this person, and therefore you want intimacy with this person. Can you imagine being in a marriage where you don't think that that person is equal to you? Where you don't cherish who they are? Sometimes we rarely step into this contempt, but it often happens over time with the tensions of the relationship. Let's work against that horseman. He's no good and he doesn't help at all. Now, you might begin to see a pattern and a number, the third horseman will help indicate this pattern. So we need to work against criticism. We need to work against contempt. And then we also need to work against the third horseman, which is defensiveness. I become defensive when you call me out on my contempt and my criticism. I begin to justify my behavior. I tell you why I did this, or I make up things about why this is happening. I give examples that may not make any sense. I self-defend who I am, right? Self-defensiveness is almost always an indication that I'm not doing well in the relationship. At the end of the story in Genesis chapter 27, Rebecca you know, mom who schemed with Jacob. She becomes a little defensive uh, when she's confronted by Jacob, who's like, mom, why did you make me do this? And why did we end up making this happen? Here's what she says in verse 45. When he, meaning Esau, when he calms down, <laughs> you can feel her getting almost defensive as we speak. When he calms down and forgets what you've done to him, then I'll send for you to come back. And this is the clear self-defensiveness at the very end. She says, why should I lose both of you in one day? You see, she's trying to defend her behavior that was clearly wrong. Defensiveness is never a helpful thing. Finally, what Dr. Gottman identifies as the fourth horseman is what's known as what he calls uh, stonewalling. And stonewalling is somewhat common, but in case we don't really understand it, it just means I stop engaging with you. I am now fed up with who you are, what you're saying, how you're interfacing with me, and I stop engaging with you. And that's never helpful either, right? We'll never discover intimacy if we just stop engaging in the relationship. So one of the proverb writers says in chapter 15, we go back and he talks about how it's important to engage, to have a relationship of discovery and learning. And so what the Proverbs writer says is those who ignore instruction despise themselves, but those who head, heed admonition gain understanding. In other words, we need to be able to respond to each other. We need to be able to find ways to grow from one another. And so Dr. Gottman has an interesting solution for this particular horseman. He calls it self-soothing. And all he means by that is, um, look, find ways to take a break he suggests 20 minutes. Like if you're in the heat of an argument or you're in some kind of quote unquote battle with the other person, take a break, 20, maybe 30 minutes, and then intentionally re-engage. He calls that self-soothing because it's a way to know I'm both taking care of myself 
and I'm going to try to take care of the relationship eventually by re-engaging the conversation or the circumstances, right? So these four horsemen of the apocalypse are what we want to avoid. What we want to engage are the solutions that Dr. Gottman offers. Can you imagine if Rebecca was much more engaging with Isaac about some of her concerns? Can you imagine if, if Jacob had, rather than connived with his mom, figured out a way to help his brother Esau? Well, the good news, friends, is he eventually does. They eventually reconcile and they form a great team to help the covenant that God established with Abraham and Isaac and their son, Jacob. They eventually help make that a possibility. And I believe it's all because they discover how to be intimate with each other, how to be vulnerable and transparent with each other. Friends, remember, we've got these conversation starters. If you didn't get one, I want to challenge you to get one. We've got them on our website. Uh, I think they may be on the app as well. These are great ways to discover conversations where we're not critical, where we don't find contempt, where we aren't defensive, and certainly where we aren't um, stonewalling in our conversations. Friends, this is the way God wants us to be. He wants us to find vulnerability. He wants us to be intimate in our relationships with each other and certainly with God Himself. Friends, I pray that you and I together will find ways to do that, that we'll discover the joy of that blessing and that God indeed will give us strength and joy and abundance in our relationships together. Thanks be to God that we have that opportunity. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, thank you for the gift of relationships. Thank you for the blessings that you offer us each and every day. God, it's very tempting sometimes to fall prey to these horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I pray that you'll give us courage and compassion and connection to overcome them, to step away from them, to back off from them, and to find these solutions that Dr. Gottman reminds us of. God, thank you for Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and even Joseph, for their life stories remind us of how important intimacy is and how important it is to be in relationship with you. Thank you that they set great examples and they help us to better understand the gift of life and of love. God, this is our prayer and we lift it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey friends, let me just thank you again. Every week you do amazing things, both with your time and talent and certainly also with your treasures, your dollars. Let me remind you that your giving makes a huge difference in our capacity to help others grow in a relationship with Jesus. So thanks for making that possible. You know, you can make a gift right now by scanning the QR code that's right on your screen. Just take your phone, scan it right on your television screen, and it'll take you to where you can go uh, to make a contribution. Or if on that same phone you want to text the letters T-M-U-M-C to the number 45777, that's a great way to make a gift as well. But thanks for all that you do for making ministry possible. I'm really grateful.